Advanced Principles Podcast, or APP, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On APP, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. But what does the future hold for the for the digital retailer, um, auto, brick and mortar? We find consumers would rather buy locally. What perfect timing for that level of technology. So kudos to you on that. And I'm a huge champion for the local dealer as well. Now, dealer groups have gone bigger and locals taking on a little bit different of a definition, but it's still it's it's managed and operated by individuals generally who live within the community. So it is a local business and a local establishment is now this new age and this age that we're moving into of digital retailing and selling vehicles across state lines or across country or whatever it might be is how, how does that dealer stay engaged with that customer throughout their life cycle? Or do dealers just need to adopt that this is just a one-time transaction and we're going to somewhat abandon the lifetime value of a consumer coming through our service drive, hanging out in our customer service area, you know, pr- browsing the lot and perusing the cars on the show floor and getting excited and then making that impulse purchase that a lot of dealers have been able to benefit from over the years. Um, and I think if you s- sell and ship a car seven, eight states away, it makes it a little bit more difficult to maintain and build that sense of community with that customer. How do you, how do you suggest dealers look at that and approach that? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good point. And, you know, I, I agree with you. We definitely believe in the local dealer. We believe in all the services. It's not just about selling the car, but it's about sell, selling and servicing and having inventory for them to choose from and all, all the benefits of a, of a local dealer who, by the way, is not just selling them something, not just servicing their vehicle, but their kids are playing on the baseball team or they're the, usually the one that's sponsoring mm-hmm. the baseball team or the local high school or the dance team. So uh, all that is a, is a critical component. And what we say with, with e-commerce is a lot of times it's a, it can be a double-edged sword. Why? Because um, we find that most consumers, Ryan, when they come through our digital platforms, they prefer to buy locally. Mm-hmm. What, where a customer doesn't buy locally is if the dealers locally don't offer the technology, that's the way they want to buy um, or inventory can be a challenge, especially in today's market. Mm-hmm. Finding inventory they want is, is definitely a challenge. But if the dealer has the technology and presents that technology in a consumer-friendly way that's easy for consumers to find, we find consumers would rather buy locally. Now, for a dealer, it certainly is an opportunity if I have a great inventory and I can sell X locally uh, of that inventory, but there's a beyond that an exponential opportunity for me to sell maybe even some more cars by expanding my market area that I'm serving. Mm-hmm. And technology helps me do that. Technology helps me display and market those those cars way beyond what you know customers may be willing to drive or physically see at my dealership. There's a big opportunity there, and so. Um, But it can be hard if all you're doing is displaying that inventory. But then when the customer who's who is five states away wants to transact, you put up a lead form and say, hey, we'll have somebody call you and go through this manual process. Mm -hmm. That can be a deterrent. So 
we actually see um, the, the local dealers not going away. The local dealer, though, needs the technology to serve consumers how they want to buy. And there's no question uh, there's a shift in, in consumer demand on how they want to buy, and it's continuing to grow. We don't see it going away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but being able to give those customers a digital experience to buy from your dealership, the other way, the, the easy way to think about it too, and this is kind of how I always thought about it as a dealer, this allows me to be open 24 seven because there's hours at a dealership and, and we work a lot of hours as dealers and we're there to serve dealers, you know, morning and evening. And that's, that's one of the fun things about retail is you're, you're always open when everybody else is off. You're uh, you're usually open. And that's usually when you're the busiest. Yep. Um, but beyond that, there is times when we got to go to sleep. And if you can sell cars in your sleep, that's uh, that's a big opportunity to leverage technology to to do those things. So, and when it comes to 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 loyalty and retention, I think that's definitely an opportunity to leverage digital in a uh, in a really effective way. And I'll give you a few examples. But um, one area where I think just around retention is one of the things we do at at CarSaver and our Walmart and iHeart platform is every car. That, uh, that we sell comes with a lifetime warranty. And that lifetime warranty uh, brings the customer back to the dealership. And the customer is going to do their service work at the dealership. And the reason why we implemented that is at my dealerships, I would buy underperforming stores. And that meant they weren't only underperforming in sales, they were usually underperforming worse in service. Mm-hmm. And when you have a dealership that's underperforming in service and has a bad reputation in service, that's a lot harder to rebuild than the sales department. Usually you can promote your way, market your way out of sales and, and get enough inventory. Service department, bad reputation is really hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the stores we would buy, they, they, weren't the, they weren't the ideal location in the metro. They may be the older location or a little bit outside of town, a little bit further drive. And so even if you're able to promote your way through sales, if you didn't have a convenient way for those customers to come back and service with you, um, that was a challenge. And I got introduced to the concept of lifetime warranty. And um, I was actually one of the, one of the first dealers uh, that offered lifetime warranty. And to me, it was such a no-brainer because not only was it an advantage of why consumers would want to choose my cars and my dealership over somewhere else for where they want to buy, mm-hmm. it's, it also kept them coming back for service. And we saw our service numbers grow exponentially and our loyalty and retention was always kind of some of the highest out there. When you go from underperforming to highest in the zone, highest in the region, that grabs attention pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And for us, the lifetime warranty was very effective at that. And obviously that also pr- provides another opportunity to sell that customer in the future, to acquire that car as a trade-in in the future, all the opportunities that exist there. And so we implemented that with our uh, B2C platform and every car comes with a lifetime warranty, which wow. drives customers going back to the dealership. But then when it comes to, to retention, another thing that's interesting there, Ryan, is 
The car companies will keep about half of their customers on average. So half will buy a different brand next time. Dealers will keep uh, 75% of their customers will leave or buy somewhere wow. on the next transaction. Now, part of that is because maybe they didn't have a great experience. Uh, they felt like they paid too much, whatever it may be. Some are going to buy a different brand that dealer may, may not offer, but also customers move. Sometimes mm -hmm. they just they may move across the state. I live in Nashville and I think I get a new neighbor from California on a daily basis. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's left in California, but, wow. uh, but man, it's, there's certainly, you know, waves of waves of customers coming this way, but uh, lenders, believe it or not, they lose 90% of their loan customers on their next loan. There is wow. basically zero retention. So what we did is we created an automated way to identify customers when they can get a brand new car for the same or lower payment than the one they have. And we upgrade them. And when they upgrade, they get a new car from that manufacturer, obviously from the dealer. They get a new loan from the lender. And the dealer sells a car and gets a trade-in that they desperately need in today's market. Yep. And obviously get paid on the sale of the car, the financing, yeah. and the, the insurance products. But it creates loyalty because customers today will finance for six, seven years in a lot of cases with, with the price of cars. Mm -hmm. And being able to notify them that they can now get a brand new car for the same or lower payment and give them a digital experience where in seconds or less than five minutes, they can do a end-to-end -end transaction and have that car upgraded and schedule to have it delivered or go pick it up at the local dealer. It's a really cool experience, but uh, a great way to drive loyalty and retention across the entire ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is, um, it's such a unique way to look at it. And again, these last couple of years really had to be kind of a flashpoint for a platform like that with the inflated used car values that we've seen. There's probably been a lot of customers that really enjoyed the opportunity to get into something newer, even if it's a year or two newer, but something newer at the same, if not even a lower payment, I would imagine in some cases. So what perfect timing for that level of technology. So kudos to you on that. Yeah. And you know, a, a part of that came from our research with Walmart. We found that a lot of times when we say digital retail, that says customers want to buy online. And what our research told us, and this was all the way back to 2016, Customers want to do everything online. So they didn't see it as just buying a car. They saw it as the, the buying the car, the financing, the insurance, the protecting, all of that they want to do in one easy experience. And what we find is a lot of times when we're implementing digital retail, as some of the dealers are, are using platforms that help the customer buy, but they don't, they're not fully committed to help the customer finance and insure and protect mm -hmm. and do all of it in this one experience. Or maybe they don't even let you trade in your car. Well, it's hard to buy a car online if you have a trade-in, if you can't get a full end-to-end -end trade in online. Mm -hmm. There's some examples of some things that when you talked about earlier about how come some of the, the metrics don't always prove out. Well, sometimes we build these solutions that don't let the customer go end-to-end -end, and then we wonder why they didn't go end to end. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's if, a great point. If you have a digital retail platform that makes the customer with a trade in come into the dealership to get a number for their trade in, 
you will never sell a car completely online to a customer who has a trade. Yep. It's impossible. So it's wow. just one way to think about it is such a great point. Sometimes we, we build these things and, and we see them as we are not exactly, you know, not for what the consumer experience is. And so I think that's really important that, that we keep focus on, on the consumer experience. Yeah, absolutely. So with this platform and you, you look at, you know, kind of the, the first big name is Walmart. And then since then iHeart and now Nissan, so any surprises about who your customer really is? I know I've seen some some publications about what kind of vehicles have been sold on the platform, high and low, but any surprises to you as who's actually choosing to engage in this platform and what types of vehicles are actually being sold? Man, um, yeah, you know, the, the second car we sold from Walmart was a $250,000 Bentley. <laughs> and um, I'd love to say we modeled out that that was going to be, you know, our ideal customer, but it definitely was not, uh, that definitely was not in the plan. And so we had to, we had to really think about how do we build a platform that can serve any consumer? And what's interesting with Walmart and iHeart, they reach 95% of the U S and, um, actually iHeart, this is a, was an interesting stat to me. iHeart has bigger reach than Google or Facebook. Um, really? They're touching more consumers on a monthly basis than Google and Facebook. Wow. Um, so it's ma- it's a massive audience. And so when you're touching an audience that big, it's everybody. It's consumers in the highest demo and consumers in the lowest demo. It's consumers who speak English. It's consumers who speak Spanish. It's consumers who speak a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's prime customers and it's subprime customers. It's customers who want to buy a a Bentley and it's customers who want to buy a inexpensive used car. And that's actually what challenged our team is to be able to build a platform that could service any customer and could meet the needs of any customer, no matter what kind of car they wanted to buy, where they lived, what their uh, credit uh, was. Um, that's where it gets really complex. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, um, our industry, if you think about it, when we sell a car, if you sell a car to, at a dealership, for the most part, you're selling that customer, that car. So it's pretty easy to structure that deal on that one car. When you're a platform, uh, opening up opportunities for customers to shop across a whole platform, you don't know which car they're going to choose first. And so you got to be able to, to serve a customer across the entire marketplace. And that's where... Um, you really start to focus on, hey, how do, we, how do we do some great customer experiences? Things like, I want to be able to sign in one time and see the entire inventory and never have to fill out a lead form ever again. Wow. Things like, I want to be able to do a credit app and see my credit across every car, not one at a time. I want to be able to get a trade value and that trade value go across the entire uh, marketplace of vehicles. So, being able to unlock those experiences. Um, But it really, a lot of that came from the challenge of we had such a vast consumer group that, uh, that came through. And now there's no question the, the younger generation is more adaptable technology. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, they, they grew up in this world. They're doing everything on their phone. And so if you want to look at where it's going over the next five to 10 years, we are so far behind. If we don't start shifting to 
today, we're going to be so out of touch with our future consumers too. Yeah. Uh, it's critically important. Yeah. I think that's a great point. It kind of brings me to uh, one of the last questions here I'll have on this is, is where, where does this now go to? What's the next evolution of this? One from the brick and mortar dealer. I've, you've said several times the dealer's not going away. I think that's very, um, it's easy to say it's harder for some to digest just with kind of the infiltration of the digital force and, you know, the ship to home and all those kinds of things and all these advertisements that are out there, they're really cutting the dealer out. And, you know, you're, again, you're such a great champion for the dealer. I love to see that because now you're becoming such a prominent player, but what does the future hold for the, for the digital retailer, um, auto brick and mortar, but then also where does car saver go from here? Uh, and where do the relationships continue to expand to? Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely see opportunities to bring all the suppliers that are in a transaction together into one easy seamless transaction. So dealers, banks, insurance companies, car companies, um, they're all involved in every transaction in some way, but a lot of times it's very different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to integrate that into one easy seamless experience that works for everybody and is a win-win for everybody. And so I think we'll continue to, to evolve that. And then where does digital retail go? Again, it's um, I think you got to be able to buy a car from anywhere a consumer wants to buy a car. So, and uh, I think you mentioned earlier the metaverse. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know if consumers, if there's going to be a high adoption across consumers in the metaverse or on their phone or at work or at, you know, home, wherever they may be. Uh, we just want to be able to serve that customer no matter where they are and how they want to buy. And I think as long as we're constantly accomplishing that, um, we're going to be able to make car buying a lot funner and deliver joy to car buying. And at yep. the end of the day, that's the that's that's the ticket. Is it's such a great experience buying a car, and you know, a lot of times consumers get wrapped up in the um, what sometimes they perceive as negativity of the car buying experience, and don't get to experience the joy of you know, there's freedom in driving off with that new car and getting to go show your friends and family, you know, the, the new car you purchased or yep. go on that vacation in that car. And I don't care who you are, when you purchase a new car, you love to be in that moment and soak it in and have the joy of a new car, that new car smell and all the features and functionality of the new car. So we want to help consumers connect to that more and make the, the buying process of it just faster and easier where they see nothing but joy throughout the experience. I think that's when our whole industry wins is when that's what every experience looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And I just love the passion around it. Um, it's just about making one of the most significant purchases in a person's life enjoyable. Yeah. And it seems so simple, but you know, the industry almost to some extent has fought that for at least the three plus decades that I've been involved in this business. So um, kudos to you. Love that you're doing it. Love that you're delivering an enjoyable experience to the consumers and you're bridging the many gaps that are out there from the lenders, from the protection products, from the dealer, from the manufacturer, and from the big brick and mortar retails that are such a staple in the community. So congrats to you and your team and all the success. Um, I know the journey hasn't been easy, um, but you guys have done just a, a bang up job and the footprint that you're now starting to establish, I think is still just the beginning 
uh, a lot of growth for many years to come for you, the entire team. Um, and before we let you go, I, I definitely want to get into our fast five here, which is going to be fun, fun uh, questions here. Five of them. Um, before, you, just, before you jump into that, Ryan, yeah, yeah. So I do want. I do want to kudos to you and uh, and what you've built and your team's built at you know Advanced Sealer Solutions. You guys, uh, you, likewise, you can feel the passion. And uh, we got to connect out of NADA and just hearing you talk about uh, what you guys are doing for your dealer partners and and the success you've had in that is phenomenal. And I've always enjoyed your passion and energy and um, congratulations on, on what you guys have done. And I know there's going to continue to be a lot of success there. So, and congratulations on the podcast. This is uh, it's fantastic. And I love that you took the initiative and you've had some incredible guests on already. So I'm, uh, I'm humbled to, to be one of those and, and uh, kudos to you though. Yeah. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And hopefully we'll have you on again. Uh, yeah, sometime real soon. Good. To. So in our fast five, um, certainly you grew up around the automotive industry with your dad managing stores and then you working on the lot. Um, I, I wouldn't say you're the biggest car buff, but you're certainly passionate about the industry and automotives. So over your uh, lifetime, what's been your favorite vehicle, uh, whether that you've owned or just admired? Oh, wow. So um, that's a that's a good question. And this is probably not the most popular answer, but I'm a, I told you I was transparent. So I'm, I'm just going to say it. I actually have a Tesla model S and I love that car. I've actually have, I have over a hundred thousand miles on wow. my Tesla model S that I bought new and the technology and innovation that's in that car, I think is, is great. And uh, so again, that may not be the most popular with, uh, with all of our, all of our industry friends, but, uh, but I, I, I love that car. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, Tesla for, I think kind of the anti-dealer anti manufacturer that they, that they are or at least coined to be, they have, I think, forced the industry to face some hard points of recognition, whether it's technology, whether it's driver experience, whether it's autonomous driving capability, the, certainly the EV push that we're currently seeing wouldn't be here without Tesla and Elon Musk championing that so many years ago. So for all the you know down talking that's directed towards Tesla, I think in five years, dealers are going to be very thankful that they started so many different and very relevant conversations. Yeah, I agree. So um, the next one. So you, you are definitely a showman. I love it. It's come out today. You could see it in your gestures and your excitement and your passion, talking about some of the things that you've done at the store. No doubt when you were coming up in retail from the sales floor through management and then having your own stores, I'm sure that you came up with some just phenomenal promotions uh, for early on, if not the first adoption of lifetime warranties, um, when that was really questionable within the industry and dealers making that decision. So what was the best promotion you've ever run um, on the retail side? Oh, man. Um, you know, there's, there's a number of promotions that we did that were that were very successful i would say you know one that's probably i'll give you a couple but one that's most relevant to here is some of the most successful promotions we ever did were two things when i was running dealerships we did a walmart parking lot event and so we would move our entire inventory over to a walmart parking lot 
and we'd sell three times as many cars wow. in the Walmart parking lot as we would our own. And so that, even before I knew I was at eventually going to power Walmart's auto buying program, obviously I learned a lot about the power of Walmart there. Mm-hmm. Second thing we would do was we would do credit union events and we would uh, partner with the local credit union and do an offsite sale with us and that credit union would be there. And we had uh, huge success with, with credit unions. And I think both of those really are, shows you the power of the, the trust that consumers have in, in brands like Walmart or their local credit union and how that trust can really make an impact uh, for us in the automotive industry. But the craziest promotion I ever did was a crane sale. So a crane sale. We would uh, we would put a car up in a crane, and I would make a commitment that I wasn't coming down until we sold however many it was fifty or hundred, depending on the size of the dealership. We until we sold so many cars, I wasn't coming down, and I would spin. I mean, literally sleep in the in the vehicle until uh, wow. until that many cars were sold. So oh that my was the gosh. Oh, no doubt. I knew there'd be a great story in there. So uh, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, So I think the answer to this question is obvious just over your right hand shoulder. But uh, I know you have deep ties to Oklahoma and and some family there and everything. So is it uh, go Pokes or Boomer Sooner? It was definitely Boomer Sooner. I I grew up in Oklahoma City, uh, right outside Oklahoma City. And then I went to University of Oklahoma my daughter is actually a senior at University of Oklahoma, graduating next month. So wow, how cool! I'm proud of that, but yeah, we're we're uh, we're definitely Boomer Sooner fans. Yep, yep. And there's a lot of people across the country that don't understand the depths of that rivalry. Um, oh. But having lived in Oklahoma for a year and you being from there, it is absolutely phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Bedlam, the whole weekend, everything is just such an experience. A lot of fun. That in yeah. Texas, you know. Yes. Uh, if you bring Texas or Oklahoma State into any conversation, it gets uh, it gets escalated really quick. Yes, sure. it does. No <laughs> doubt. Uh, so certainly catching up with you at NADA and then a little bit of my uh, YouTube searching. Cruz, your son Cruz, has definitely caught the entrepreneurial bug. Um, he is out there fast tracking and no doubt the world is going to continue to hear some great things from him. And you said something uh, when we were there kind of catching up and talking about stuff is um, what was it like the first time that you were with Cruz and he was actually recognized by one of his subscribers? And feel free to shed a little bit of context to it too about what he does and his YouTube channel and everything. Yeah, that was, so that was, um, Cruz is, uh, is my 13-year-old son and he has a, a um, platform called Cruz's Card Stop. So he is, uh, does sports cards where he buys, sells, and trades sports cards. He's mostly into basketball and football, but he's been doing it since he was, I guess, about six years old. He started and um, we went to, I guess that he was nine years old at the time. And we went to Cleveland for a a convention similar to NADA, but for sports cards called the National Sports Card Collectors Convention. And... um, when we, when we, when Cruz was nine, we went and we were walking through the convention and a, uh, a gentleman and his son came up to me and he said, excuse me, are you Cruz's dad? And I said, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm Cruz's dad. And he said, oh, we know Cruz from YouTube. And first of all, I was, it, it threw me off that 
somebody would recognize me as Cruz's dad from his YouTube videos. So every once in a while, Cruz would ask me to be in one of his videos. So they recognize me from Cruz's videos, who's nine years old. And he says, would it be okay if we said hello to Cruz? He says, uh, my son and I actually traveled like nine hours to get to this convention. And one of the number one things on our list of what we wanted to accomplish while we're here is we wanted to be able to meet Cruz. Wow. <laughs> I was, Unbelievable. I was blown away. And he's nine years old at the time. Nine years old. So oh, my I, gosh. I turned around and, and said, Cruz, uh, these, these gentlemen would like to meet you. And so Cruz turned around and said hello to them. And, and they said who they were and that they followed him on YouTube. And he said, well, I just want to thank you so much for being a fan. And wow. <laughs> to hear your nine-year-old <laughs> say he's got fans was just – it was hilarious. It, uh, so I definitely saw the power of, of uh, you know, social media mm-hmm. and, and what he's done with that. And then – when we got ready to leave, we were walking through the Cleveland airport and there was a, uh, there was a gentleman who, who screamed across the terminal and said, Cruz, Cruz, are you Cruz from YouTube? And, and Cruz waves at him. And oh my goodness. Unbelievable. I could not believe, um, you know, the power of that, but he's, he's actually grown it into a pretty good sized business today that wow. uh, he is constantly, you know, buying, selling, trading cards and has done, uh, has done very well with it. So yeah, good for him, man. And and uh, his subscriber list just keeps ticking up and ticking up and ticking up. And no doubt you'll continue to be on the road with him and have him be recognized everywhere he goes. That is super super cool. So you have lived in two uh, extreme weather climates in the U.S. between Arizona and South Florida. Um, probably couldn't be more different from each other. So which do you prefer and why? Oh man, well. As far as the weather, I would definitely say I prefer uh, Arizona. I like the uh, the lower humidity. Uh, yep. Humidity is tough. Now, there's great things about uh, South Florida and Miami area. You've got the beach and uh, things you don't have in Arizona. But uh, but when it comes to the weather, definitely take the the dry heat over the humidity. Um, the the uh, the bacon scars aren't going to prevent that. They didn't scar you for life. To- scars, <laughs> That's the first thing people say. Yeah, but it's a dry heat. And I will tell you, 130 degrees is 130 degrees, whether it's wet or dry. It can be uh, it can be miserable. But uh, but the humidity, I'm not a big fan of of high humidity. That's for sure. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Chad, thank you again for taking the time to be on this. I know you got a ton of different things going on. We will certainly continue to expect to hear from you and about you and about Car Saver and the mission that you and your team are on, because it truly is a mission. I'm excited to have you back and, and continue to update everyone on the progress of it and, and where you help take this industry. And, and I say that sincerely. I think you're going to be one of the guiding forces of where our industry goes over the next 5, 10, 15 years and uh, making these, this all-important car buying transaction much more enjoyable for all the consumers out there. So thank you again for your time. Thank you, Ryan. Much appreciated. And congrats again on all, all the success you've had. And appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Chad. Have a great day. Thank you.